Have you ever been disappointed with God? Have you ever expected Him to do something, even an expectation you got from the Bible and it didn't happen? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran, and welcome to Bible 805. Disappointment with God is a sad and serious issue, and today in our lesson, It's Not Always About You, How to Correctly Read and Apply Bible Stories, we'll talk about the reasons why this often happens and how we can correctly learn what God wants us to from the stories in the Bible. Misinterpreting Bible stories has happened to all of us. We love reading the stories in the Bible, but we can be disappointed if God doesn't do for us what he did for the Bible characters. Now, this is a challenging topic for our Bible study because stories are most often the things that we remember out of our Bible. They're our favorite parts. They're the Bible stories we might have heard when we were a child, or they're the stories that are sometimes made into television movies. But whatever it is, we remember the stories. And in the last few lessons, I've talked about how important it is that we not only learn the content of the Bible, but and the history and all those good things that I like to talk about, but that we really apply what we've learned. Now, that's very good advice, and it is something we always want to do. But when we get into the Bible stories that we're going to be reading in the next few months, it can get really challenging. For example, in the book of Judges, we're going to be reading the story about Gideon, and a lot of people are familiar with this story where he didn't trust that God was going to do what God had told him he would do so he said I'm going to put out this fleece this lambskin and what I want you to do God is I want you to let it be dry and all the ground around it wet and so that happened and then he said now God and I actually I might be mixing up these two one time it was supposed to be wet one time it was supposed to be dry but anyway the next time he does it the opposite God does that and then he decides to believe God. Now, because of that story, Gideon setting out this fleece that was either wet or dry and the ground around it completely different, a lot of people take that passage and they say, well, then it's okay to put out a fleece for God to test and see if he wants us to do something. Now, the question comes up, is that really how we're supposed to apply that story? Is that what we're supposed to do to determine God's will? Now, the short answer to that is no. (laughs) That is not what God expects us to do. But bear with me in the next while while I explain why that isn't exactly what we're supposed to do. That's all part of our topic on how to read and apply Bible stories. Now, we're actually going to start talking about genre. Now, you might think, what in the world? You know, what's that even mean? Well, genre, Webster's Dictionary defines it in this way. Genre is a type of art literature or music characterized by a specific form content and style for example literature has four main genres poetry drama fiction and nonfiction. Now just in the same way that there are different genres in the literature that we come across in many areas of our life, there are also various genres, various types of literature in the Bible. We have narrative, we have poetry, We have prophecy, we have letters, we have didactic and apocalyptic literature. Now, don't worry about the definitions on all of these right now. That's not what's really important. But what is important is that we must identify each one of them, each passage, for correctly what it is, and then learn how to read and apply it with understanding the genre that it is in mind. For example, 
you wouldn't read or interpret a poem, for example, one of the Psalms, in the same way that you do a historical narrative. For example, how Joshua conquered the Promised Land. They're just different kinds of genre, different kinds of literature. And we know that, and that's obvious. But it does get tricky on how do we read and apply these things. Now, we're going to talk about various genres as I go through this series of reading through the Bible on Bible 805. Now, I will bring up different ones. This particular one, we're going to be talking about narrative, about story. This is the one that we're going to discuss first, and I'll bring up different ones as we come to these types of genre in the Bible. Now, not only will I have them as part of reading through the Bible chronologically, but I'll also be sure that on the website that you can find them in the standalone listings. Beyond all this talk about genre, and that is very important, I want you to remember that we're number one doing this because I don't want you to be disappointed with God, thinking that he's teaching or promising one thing when his true message is far from that. And also, I don't want God disappointed with all of us because we aren't taking time to truly understand what he's talking about and how to apply it properly. Now, again, the genre that we're going to be talking about in this lesson is story or narrative. The, the two terms are used interchangeably. Now, I, I want you to know up front also that a lot of the material from this lesson comes from an absolutely fantastic book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, by Fee and Stewart. I will have a link to where you can get it on the website. I don't get any kind of affiliate thing or anything like that, so don't worry about that. But it is just an absolutely excellent book, and I can't recommend it enough. Before we get into specifically some of the things that they say about it, I want to give you a little bit of background on narrative. Narrative or story is the largest genre category in the Bible. I looked up a number of, of different resources and depending upon how you actually count it, if you count it as separate from history or included in it, the numbers range from 45% to 75% of the Bible is in this format. And the reason it is, is because this is what we can relate to. This is what everyone understands. And two, stories, narrative, are completely cross-cultural. People in all cultures at all times understand and respond to story. So this is the bulk of our Bible. Now, I'm going to go back and forth between using the term narrative and story. Story is the term that most of us are familiar with, but the reason that a lot of Bible scholars and teachers use the term narrative is because the term story has the implication that it isn't really true, and that is not the case with this genre in the Bible. As they say in the book, um, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, quote, the biblical narratives tell us the ultimate story. A story that, even though often complex, is altogether true and crucially important. Now, I want to also, before I get into some of the, the professional study on it, tell you a little bit about some of my own feelings about story. We're known through our stories. And as a writer, I've, I've written a number of things, and I've taught a lot of writing classes. And I've taught people in many of my classes how to do interviews. I was a newspaper reporter for a 
a number of years and I for the religion section of the Colorado Springs Sun and what I did is I would go out and I would interview people and it was telling their story is what people just love to read about it worked out really well and it was fairly popular section at that time when I would teach writing classes how to do that one of the things that I would say to them is is all you have to say to somebody is tell me your story just tell me your story and they will start talking and you will find out so much about them when you first meet somebody that's usually what we do we ask them for their stories we might not put it that way but that's what we're doing when we say well where did you grow up and why did you get that job and how did you meet the person that you love in your life all of these sorts of things will usually be answered by a story and that tells us so much more than just the bare facts now we're made in God's image and I have to believe that God loves stories. He tells so many of them, and I think that's that's part of us being in the image of God. And when he tells us a story, if we're listening carefully, if we're reading carefully, we should learn a whole lot more about him in the same way that if you have a friend and you say, tell me your story, you'll learn a whole lot more than if you just say, date of birth, birthplace facts about how much you weighed when you were born what is your spouse's name where do you work and if they just answered you those questions very you know point by point and just the facts you would know about them but you wouldn't really know them and it's the same in our bible now for example god gave the israelites the commandment have no other gods before me now that's a basic foundational command but what does it really mean And how do you live it out? Well, for Israel, we see what happened because they didn't live it out. They would constantly not trust God. They would fail. They would have to be punished for it. They would start worshiping other gods. They would get involved even in child sacrifice and immorality. They would lack God's blessings. There would be strife at all levels of society. They were ultimately taken away from the promised land and they had to go into captivity though God finally allowed them to return so God told them don't have any other gods before me that was the command but the stories that followed shows what happens if you don't obey the commands and for the people that did obey them what happened in their lives now going back to the book and getting into the more technical explanations of all this the book on how to read the bible for all it's worth says that there are three levels of old testament narrative and this is really important because we kind of tend to group everything together but listen closely because i think this will will help make some of it more understandable first of all there's the top level this is the whole universal plan of God worked out through his creation. God has a plan to redeem the earth and that is worked out step by step from the time that Adam and Eve fell until we will have paradise restored at the end of the book of Revelation. The first chapter you might say of this takes place in the Old Testament so but it's God's overall universal plan working in everything. Then there's a middle level. He narrows in on his plan with the nation of Israel. He calls Abraham, he forms a people, they're in bondage, he delivers them, they take the land, they are destroyed because of their sin 
and then they are finally restored. And see, God tells his story through the people, the nation of Israel. And then he narrows down the stories to the individual stories. Many, if not all, of the Old Testament characters had imperfection. God sort of puts on display some of them more than others. Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Solomon, all of them, their lives are an example and teach us things. Now, they were all good in part, bad in part. The final analysis, though, on all of these levels, from the top level of God's universal plan, the middle level, the stories that he tells using Israel, and finally the bottom level of individuals. Truly in each one of these, God is the hero of all of the stories on all of the levels. It is important to remember that each one of the individual stories, which we tend to focus on, is always part of the upper two levels of the overall story of Israel, and the story of God's universal plan of salvation. For example, we'll, I'll be using actually the book of Judges quite a few times to illustrate things. And for example, a lot of people have heard about Gideon. I talked about his fleece. And then they've heard about Samson, who was this very strong man. And he fell in love with Delilah. And then he got his hair cut. And he lost all of his strength. And then he finally gets it back. And he destroys all of the Philistines with his final one act of of God's mercy and giving him his strength back. Now, the stories themselves are great stories, but they have so much more meaning when you understand that they're part of another bigger story of the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, you'll understand that even more when you see how God was dealing with Israel and his overall plan and how people violated his laws then God would allow an outside force, the Philistines, for example, the Midianites, various groups of people to come in and oppress Israel. Then he would call up a judge. Samson and Gideon were two of them. We don't tend to think of them as judges, but that's exactly what their designation was in the Bible. They would rescue Israel. Then after they died, they would fall back into sin again. And you see, when you understand the context of all the individual stories and how they're part of a larger story, you understand the whole book so much better. And of course, that's what we're going to be doing here in Bible 805. I don't expect you to do it on your own, but that's that's why I'm doing this series to help you. But now getting back to some of the overall guidelines and these the declarative statements that I make are out of the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Statement number one, Old Testament narratives are not just stories about people who lived in Old Testament times. They're first and foremost stories about what God did to and through these people. Again, the emphasis is always on what God did. For example, in the story of Ruth, it's a wonderful romantic story about how this young widow finds true love when she follows her mother-in-law back to Israel. And it, it's, it's just a wonderful story. But the overall story is really about God's care of his people in troubled times. In this case, Naomi her mother-in-law, and how ultimately he used, God used this woman who was outside of Israel 
of the ancestors of the line of David and ultimately of Jesus. That's the overall story, God taking this line of people that will ultimately result in Jesus the Savior. But he gives us these wonderful stories to show how he used human beings in real situations to bring about his plan. Statement number two. Old Testament narratives do not necessarily teach directly. They often illustrate what is taught directly and categorically elsewhere. And you're expected to know what that is. Again, for example, in the book of Judges, it doesn't repeat the commands of Deuteronomy, how you're only supposed to follow God, trust Him. If you don't, these are the things that are going to happen. What the book of Judges does is it shows us exactly what happens when the commands are not obeyed. Number three, narratives record what happened, not necessarily what should have happened. This is very important to understand. What people do in the narratives is often just really messed up in a lot of ways. For example, Israel was commanded to destroy the Canaanites. Now God had, you've got to read the whole big story on this because this is one of the big problems that people have with the Old Testament is they say, they will ask, why did God command that these people be destroyed? Well, if you read the whole story, you find that God granted the Canaanites over 400 years of mercy where he allowed them time to repent and they didn't. And what they were doing was not just a little sin, they were really practicing really gross immorality and idol worship. One of the most descriptive things, and the Bible talks about this, is that was really horrible, is they had an idol that they worshipped that was called Moloch. And what Moloch was, it was a huge statue, and you can go online and you could see recreations of it. We have a lot of archaeological evidence for this. And it was this giant statue with his arms outraised, and then at the end of his arms, it sort of, they sort of went down towards his, his belly, where what they would do is they would in the inner part of the idol they would get this huge fire going and they would actually place a living child an infant or a small child on the idol's arms and it would roll down into the belly of this idol and be burnt alive and it was it was horrible and God again and again said I would never command that this is a terrible thing it has to be stopped and so God commanded Israel to destroy the Canaanites he said this this has to cease. Sadly, Israel did not destroy them. And because of that, they were a constant temptation. They, the Canaanites and the other people of the land that God said to destroy, they constantly oppressed Israel. They tempted them. They ruled over them. They caused all kinds of problems. And ultimately, and incredibly sadly, Solomon married many of the women that were from various Canaanite groups. And it said that ultimately his wives were the ones that turned him away from God. And you see what happened in all of these stories is not what God wanted to have happened. It is not what should have happened. But he records it and he records it honestly. Keep in mind that just because something is recorded or repeated in the Bible does not mean that God's blessing is on it. We are supposed to have enough sense to know when a story is being told and that is not how God wanted things to happen. A little bit more that they talk about in the book is they say we're not always told at the end of the narrative 
whether what happened was good or bad. We're expected to be able to judge this on the basis of what God has taught us directly and categorically elsewhere in Scripture. And again, my note on this is that's why you have to read the whole thing. God gave us the entire Bible. He expects us to read it all. And he's not going to have sort of little footnotes everywhere along saying, now if you go to the book of Exodus and you read the first thing of the Ten Commandments, then you'll understand what's right and what's wrong. No, he expects you to have read that. So that when you get to these things, and also too in Deuteronomy, where it has a list of if the people do this, they will be blessed. If they do this, they will be punished. He expects you to know that so that when these things happen, you can then say, yes, God warned about this. This is what he said would happen. This is what is happening. Gordon and Fee go on in their book to say, all narratives are selective and incomplete. Not all the relevant details are always given. And we see this in the the Bible even comments itself about this in the New Testament, where in John 28:30 it says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And then also the same thought is in John 21, 25, where it says, and I think this is one of the most poignant verses maybe in the Bible, where John says, and there are also many other things Jesus did, which if they were written down one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So, The Bible tells us what we need to know. It tells us what God has selected that are the most important points of the story. And oftentimes he does have a reason. For example, there in John 28, 30, where he says that these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life in his name. That was the point of why the different stories, the different parables, the different examples are talked about in Jesus' life. I'm sure he did a lot of other really interesting things. I mean, we have the details of the story of, of uh, the wedding at Cana where he made this huge thing of wine and helped out this embarrassed host. There's lots of other things that he must have done at parties or just the sort of person that he was where it says that the tax collectors and the harlots and the sinners all loved to be around him. What was he like? We don't know very many of the details of some of these stories, but we know what's important for us to know. Along this line, Gordon and Fee also remind us that narratives are not written to answer all of our theological questions. They have particular specific, limited purposes, and deal with certain issues, leaving others to be dealt with elsewhere in other ways, and I must say, sometimes not at all. But we learn the lessons, again, that God wants us to learn through the specific stories. Now it's worth asking, why do people make mistakes in interpretation? How do we apply things incorrectly when we read the biblical narratives? Well, first of all, I think a lot of times people are just desperate for information that will help them in a specific situation. They're impatient. They want answers now. They want them right now. They don't want to wait. They don't want to have to search for things. They want sort of the lucky dip method of I'm going to open my Bible and I want an answer or I want comfort or I want a reason or whatever. Also, too, sometimes people wrongly expect that everything in the Bible was written to them. 
And it's often said that everything in the Bible is written for us, but not necessarily to us. The story of Gideon is written for us. It shows in many ways not how this is how God will always answer a question, but that God was very gracious to someone who had fears and doubts. But it isn't written to us in that we don't have the same commands that Gideon had when he got God's answer in the way that he got it. It takes time to really get to know the Bible and to know God's will. And sadly, many people just don't want to take the time to do that. They want to use the Bible as sort of a book of magic spells to be pulled out and opened up and used however they want to, whenever they need it. But that is not the way God wants us to use his word. So how are we supposed to read stories? How are we supposed to read narrative and learn from it what God wants us to learn from it? Well, first of all, the obvious answer is we need to read the whole Bible. That's why you're with me on this reading through the Bible in a year or whenever you decide to do it. If you know the whole Bible, it will help you understand all of the parts. You want to read the whole thing. You want to read whole books. You want to read whole chapters. A lot lot of times you won't make a mistake if you are reading the entire chapter, if you know what the story is about, if you know what the setting is. Keep listening to these podcasts, even if you don't have time to read as much as I would love to have you read. If you listen to these podcasts, I'll give you an overview of the Bible. And I promise you, by the end of the year, you will learn so much. You will have a context for what you're studying, what you're reading, no matter where you are, no matter what passage you're in. In humility also, try hard to learn what applies to individuals and what are overall lessons. One of the most important things for you to do is pray that in your reading or your listening, that you will get to know God better. You see, when you read the narratives or when you listen to them, when you get a really good grasp of all of these Bible stories, you will see how consistent God is in his actions towards his children. Now, though you can't grab a specific passage and say, well, this is just for me, you will get a sense of how he works. Now, let me give you an example of this. In Jeremiah 29.11 is a verse that has been used and misused and used as a bad example of how verses are misused. But let, let me give you kind of a, what might be a new take on it. In Jeremiah 29.11 it says, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now this has been used many times as an example of incorrect application because Bible scholars will point out that it was written in a historical setting of being written to the exiles in Babylon. They were under a 70-year exile, and God is saying that at the end of that time, there will be a hope in a future. And they really beat up on people saying that you, you can't use that at all as how God's going to treat you. Well, maybe not precisely. I mean, we, we would hope even if we use that, that our blessings aren't coming in 70 years. Some of us might not have that much longer to live. But, but think about this story and what it tells you about God. And as you continue to read stories, how he emphasizes 
the same things about his character again and again. In this verse of Jeremiah, he's pointing out that they sinned greatly. They were under judgment. They were in exile. But he says, I have a hope and I have a future for you. And we see that throughout the entire Old Testament. Far prior to this time, Israel sinned, but they still made it into the promised land. They didn't trust God when they came out of Egypt, but he still got their children into the promised land. Through judges, again, constant sin, but constantly God delivered them. In the prophets, God's calling people back to God. They ignored the prophets. They killed them. The people were punished, but God took care of them in every circumstance, and he brought them back. In the Psalms, in Psalm 37, 23, and 24, it says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And then in the New Testament, Jesus told his followers, he said, don't worry. He said, the hairs of your head are numbered, and you're of more value than many sparrows. And throughout all of our trials and all of the things we go through and all of our disobedience and our getting back up and trying again, we're promised heaven. We are promised an eternity without sickness or tears. We do have a future and a hope. Not because of what we do, not because of the historical context, but because our God is the same. And in trusting in God's ultimate good for us, maybe he won't do it in the timing that we want or in the way that we want, but in many ways that verse is very valid for a believer to say, thank you, Lord, that you promised that because this shows your character. You see, this is this is what I really want you to learn from this lesson. I want you to learn how in all of these stories, in all of these things, look for what this teaches you about your Lord. Keep reading. Keep studying. Keep listening to God's Word. This is really the most important project of your life because you've got to have that overall grasp of how God thinks and what He wants you to do for your life to make sense. Learn about Him, what matters to Him. When you have that overall understanding of the Lord and what He wants you to do, you won't make the mistake of asking for a fleece or some supernatural kind of thing if you're trying to make a decision because you will know how God wants you to act in in many situations because you've been obedient every step of the way. A lot of times people ask for specific advice, but the Lord always has already told them, speak the truth in love. Don't let anger control you. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't be unkind to people. There are so many things that the Lord clearly, clearly says, and if we just listen to those, if we know this is the kind of life that pleases God, most often you will know what he wants you to do in a specific situation. When you are faced with something that is truly difficult, remember that in James 1, it says, if we need wisdom, all we have to do is ask for it, and God will give it to us. I find it very interesting that a lot of times people will pull that verse out of context, and they'll say, well, you know, if you need wisdom, God will give it to you, and that's true. But the context of the verse is that it starts out by talking about trials. And we're, when we're in the middle of a trial, is oftentimes when we do need wisdom, We need to ask the Lord, how do you want me to act? 
how can I learn from this situation? How can I act in a way that will bring honor to you, Lord, in this? Not just to get me out of it. Ultimately, we will all be delivered. But ask instead, how can God be glorified in it? One other sort of negative example that I thought about in application is you don't want to be like a whiny little brother or sister. You know how sometimes a kid will say to to a parent, well, why did you treat them like that? You know, you weren't as nice to me. Why, why didn't I get a candy bar? Or why don't I get this? Or why don't I get that? Or why don't I get a bike? And my, my big brother or sister has a bike. Well, the little child may not realize that they are not old enough for the bike and they would really hurt themselves. And I don't want to belabor the point, but you see, when we look at some of these stories, we want to be really humble and know that our Heavenly Father knows what's best for all His kids. You can't say to the Lord, well, you did this for Gideon, or you did this for Peter, or you did this for somebody else. Why don't you do it for me? Well, we don't see the big picture, and the Lord gives you what you need. Try to be like a child who knows that you're loved. And be assured that you can trust the author of all the stories, all our stories, of all of those who love him, that one day he's going to tie up all our loose plot lines, he's going to resolve all the conflicts, and he's going to bring us safely home, where in truth we will all live happily ever after. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson. They're in a downloadable format on www.bible805.com. And please sign up for the newsletter. I finally got a good system for the newsletter. And I'm going to be adding additional blogs and other materials that you may or may not find helpful. But um, I'll only send out the newsletter maybe once a week, if that. But I think you, you might enjoy getting it. Please tell your friends about the podcast and encourage them to listen to learn God's Word. The lessons, I hope, are self-contained, and this is a very, in many ways, painless way for people to get an overview of the Bible, of what it's about. I hope learning how to study it better and to have a firm foundation for their Christian lives. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.